Welcome to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast, a podcast designed for NACAP members, prospective students, and their families. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast. My name is Phil Cook. And I'm Heidi Sturm. Heidi and I are part of the North American Coalition uh, for Christian Admissions Professionals staff, and we're pleased to bring you another edition of this podcast. And today we are thrilled to have Tammy Peterson with us. Tammy, how are you today? I'm great today, Phil and Heidi. How are y'all? We're doing, doing well. wonderfully. Yes. We, we, we are doing our recording from the Midwest. I'm in Indiana, and Heidi? I'm in Wisconsin. So, so the weather's already turned a little different than where you are in Texas, I'm imagining. That's right. Yeah, today's a beautiful fall day. We actually live in fall until it turns to winter in, in later December. So there you go. Well, it's cool. It's officially cold in Indiana now, um, and so but so winter is here, and it's December, and so we're pleased that you're joining us, Tammy. Let me do a little bit of an intro uh, to get let everyone know exactly who you are and what the expertise is that you bring to our our episode today. Tammy has decades of experience in the field of education. Uh, she's been a teacher, counselor, and administrator. Uh, she served as a director of college advising at Covenant Christian Academy in Colleyville, Texas. In 2010, she was honored with the prestigious Guidance Professional of the Year Award from our organization, NACAP, and she's also been a part of our board of directors. In addition, Tammy was this, is the founder and CEO of Life Architects Coaching. She serves Christian secondary schools, universities, working professionals uh, in the areas of executive and management coaching. She does student development, mentoring, and vocational discipleship, which, again, we'll talk about in just a moment. She was one of the three co-authors of the Curriculum for NACAP's College Council Certification Program, and she uh, was an instructor for the first five years. Tammy's a certified through the Professional Christian Coaching Institute, and she's a certified professional life and leadership coach. Uh, she and her husband, David, live, as she's mentioned, she mentioned, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and they have two adult children. Tammy, once again, thanks for being with us on, on our episode today. Thank you, Phil. Happy to be here. Well, Tammy, one of the one of the things the phrases in the introduction that we've talked about, and you've talked about this before, but can you give us a kind of what do you mean and, and what do, what do, what do people mean when they talk about vocational discipleship? Well, vocational discipleship is usually um, referring to the idea of coaching young people in their occupations. And that um, comes from lots of different sources. I think Barna in their book, Faith for Exiles, was kind of the first modern um, writing to mention vocational discipleship. And so they were testing uh, or they were talking to millennials at that time, asking them what kept them connected to faith. And vocational discipleship was one of the five factors that they mentioned in that book. Excellent. And that, so that, that's when, but when did, when did it first take off for you? Obviously you've done a, had a lot of different experiences, but when is it kind of really connected with you? I, I've known of you and a lot of folks in our industry know about you and your work, mm -hmm. but this seems to be your life calling. It seems to be what you're doing now. How did you get into it and what drives you to do this every day? I think what really drove me was my search for better questions for students. So when I was in the college guidance office, I would ask them, well, what, what classes do you like? What do you feel you're good at? And so there were a lot of questions that I, I just didn't know I needed to ask about who they thought they were and their identity in Christ. And if we think about vocation as a call from God, then obviously he's going to equip us to do that call and vocational discipleship positions that idea between being and doing. And so 
in my work and what, what really inspired me to move into this work was the idea that God has created good works for us to do from Ephesians 2.10. Mm-hmm. And if he's created good works for us to do, he must be creating a worker to do those works, his masterpiece or his workmanship from that same verse. And I got to thinking that we don't really do very much around that idea in our normal discipleship. Our discipleship is about how we can serve God and how we can think about God and how we can uh, work in the church and do ministry. But the idea of he created us specifically for our time and place created us uniquely for what we would um, encounter in our lives. That was what really made me start thinking, huh, I, I might I might need to do some research on this and think about what this means for helping young people transition from high school to college. And so how long ago did you start doing that? I started when we were working on the certification program with, with um, NACAP, we were talking about it, my colleagues, um, Jan Miranda and Ron Moss and I were talking about how do we talk to students about their passion? So for millennials, passion was a big word. And as we've read more and more about Gen Z, passion is not the same idea for Gen Z as it was for millennials. Millennials were very motivated to change the world and be something spectacular. Um, Gen Z is very concerned about doing things in the world, but passion is not one of the words that they use very often. They use different words like responsibility and interest mm-hmm. and what what do what does the world need in some ways. And so part of that conversation was centered around how in the world do we ask the questions in the short amount of time that we have with students that get them to start thinking about this. Because one of the struggles with uh, K-12 education, and in some places higher education is the same way, is we don't really motivate students to reflect very much on who God has created them to be. And so in vocational discipleship, we encourage them to reflect on this, and we believe it's in community that they do this. And so we talk about vocational discipleship around the ideas of deep work over time in community. And so when when Ron and Jen and I were working on the certification, we were talking about how important it was to us to be working vocationally in our work, becoming the people who could write the certification materials. We had to, we had to work through our own lives to be able to do the task of writing that curriculum. And so it, it was really around that time in the creation of the certification curriculum that I came to believe that it's not that all of life is preparation for doing something. It, it is that life is a combination of being and out of that being you do things and then you become someone else you grow in Christ and you become more sanctified <laughs> all those things kind of fit together yeah and then you're ready to do something new and so so this was just the next step for me after that work with them that's excellent that's worth the time someone's spending right now to to really focus in and hone in on that a little bit i, I want to raise a question about something you said i'm a certified middle age guy now um, you know, people talk about all oh, millennials. Well, that's past. We're, we're past that pretty much. Gen Z, I think the next one is alpha coming around, uh, right around the corner. But 
Tell me a little bit about, so Gen Z versus millennials make a distinction between the use of the word passion and responsibility. Tell me a little bit more about that, just from your understanding of what's happening as it relates to those two generations, and then maybe what you see on the horizon with the next generation that's coming. Uh, Yeah, Alpha's still pretty young. Our youngest Gen Z is nine. Mm. So, I mean, the the Alpha's babies. So we see them, but we don't see them um, very old yet. So millennials were uh, very much like baby boomers in this. They're going to hate that comment, but it's so (laughs) true. Baby boomers were very optimistic. They were very, they wanted to change the world. They came out of uh, the wars of last century, ready for life to be different. And they really believed in the ability of humans to do something about it. Now, there was a lot of discouragement in that and... And because of the philosophical changes in the 20th century, people were discouraged yet optimistic. And of course, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis write a lot about this and how the wars changed their lives. And millennials are, are like that in that they sort of saw not necessarily world wars, but, but a lot of evil in the world or in their lifetime. And they really wanted to make a difference. And so they came of age during the climate change conversation and 9-11 was during their growing up years. And so millennials really felt like one person could change the world. And that was kind of the baby boomer thought as well. And then Gen Z, a lot of them were born around the time of, um, well, during some of that, but they were very small in nine at 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then the economic downturn in 2008 and 2009 became kind of one of those hallmark things of a generation. And they are, they are, Gen Z is, was born beginning in 1996, which is when the internet became ubiquitous. And then they came of age around the time that, and that's kind of what marks the end of their generation is 2012, when the iPhone became ubiquitous. So they're really marked by the internet and they're marked by uh, technology. And so if we think of technology as a force, <laughs> technology has shown them that one person can make a difference, but they have to have millions of followers to do it. And so the passion it takes to do something like be an internet influencer is not something most Gen Z people want to have. They might want to have the influence, but the work it takes behind the passion Um is something that they're like, oh, I don't know. That's a lot of work. Not, and they they definitely are a working generation. They want to work. They want to be competent in their workplaces. But they also, they're kind of the first generation that has really pushed back against sitting behind a computer screen for a job. They'd really like to do something different. And hmm. so, so it's really interesting. Millennials didn't want to sit behind a desk at a job either, but they, most of them do. <laughs> and they found ways to get their passion fix in their jobs as well. And because jobs are changing so much for Gen Z, a lot of the jobs that even students that are entering into college now are the good jobs that are going to be available when they graduate are going to be completely different than they are now. There'll be some jobs that are the same, but lots of new work beginning. So Tammy, last, last week you were on our webinar um, yes. talking about vocational discipleship as a pathway to flourishing. And in that, you discuss disciplining the next generation. Can you talk about some of those key takeaways? Um, I think it was like authentic, doing the work or doing the deep work 
um, discerning, choosing carefully, and then creative and diverge or converge. Can you just expand on some of those things? Yes, it's it's an interesting conversation with young people because they are wanting to be led, but they also want to be leaders. And so the people that are leading them need to be aware that they're looking at humans as we're we're in the middle of this big shift with AI. They're looking at humans going, are you who you say you are? Hmm. Because um, lots of what they're reading, lots of what's being curated for them on the internet is not real. They're not real humans. And, and some of the things that are happening, that's ha- that are happening um, in our culture, in the creative industries, is moving us into the direction of not knowing what's real and what's unreal. And so that idea of authenticity of, are you who you say you are? And how can I test that? How can I know who the real people are? (laughs) And so I think Gen Z is really struggling with um, that. And so as we interact with students, we have to contextualize our conversations with them. The communities that they're in are a community of real people. Most of our students attend school in person. And even though we have a growing number of students that are growing, that are attending school online, it's not the preferred way by most students. Mm -hmm. And so being authentic and real with them online or in person is really important. We also have to be discerning. We have, we have to, in our authenticity, we have to do our own deep work. And that's one of the areas that has sort of surprised me a little bit in the work that I'm doing that it's important for adults to not believe that they are one and done, that they are have arrived and that they can just share their wisdom with the world, but they are continuing to learn. And, and I think that that's part of the authenticity, that we don't really have it all together, even though we have it more together than we did when we were 17. <laughs> if we are still growing and learning about God and His world, we're changing every day ourselves and we're growing into who God has created us to be. And so we have to continue to do the deep work. Life is busy, but we have to get away. We have to reflect. We have to read. We have to do intake. And so part of the conversation with counselors, which is where I work primarily now and with young students in um, vocational discipleship, is adults need to do deep work. They need to continue it. They need Mm -hmm. to have friends. They need to have people who hold them accountable. They need to Uh, be able to explain to a student how they discern what they should do in their lives and give them their process because kids don't know how to do that. And if we're not doing our own deep work, we don't have anything to give them. And then we have to be creative. And so one of the things I talked about in the podcast is uh, design theory. And of course, design theory is a big buzzword, buzz phrase, um, especially coming out of Stanford and their design school. Um, I know there's been a lot of conversation around design and designing our own lives. And that's an interesting perspective (laughs) that comes straight out of uh, 20th century philosophy, that we actually have the ability to do that. And I have just pushed back against the idea that we can create who we are, that we are created in God's image and we reflect his image, but we don't create ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. when we talk about creativity, we're very often talking about how to 
think divergently, meaning we think about the options that God has put before us, but we ultimately have to converge to a decision. And so if a student is thinking about um, the college process, which is definitely a part of vocational discipleship, we don't want to converge too soon on a choice. We want to continue to explore the options that are out there, what's best for our student, and what the student is thinking about their next phase of growth. And we talk about their next community when we talk about college. We don't really talk about, you know, what do you want to study in our first conversation? We want to talk about what kind of community do you want to be a Mm. part of? Who are the people that you want to study with? And many times they have no idea. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I ask that question, they're like, I don't know, you know, people who like me. And we get (laughs) at that sense of belonging that is really an important part of any collegiate experience, of course, K-12 especially too. But the creative process and asking good questions and really thinking creatively about what we're doing with students when we are discipling them, it's really important. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast. We are with Tammy Peterson, who is the founder and CEO of Life Architects. Tammy, uh, as you're talking, there's so many th- so many things coming to mind. The deep work, and you said this already, but just to reiterate, it is work. This is not easy to be done. It's not something that can come instantaneously, right? And it, it's deep, which to me gives a uh, puts me in the place of why we do what we do. That is spiritual. That is, we do this work because of God's plan for one's life. And being a Gen Xer myself, who a appreciates authenticity myself at my stage of my 50s. All of this has got my mind swirling. But I want to put, is it too fine of a point to contrast the difference between occupation and vocation? Is there a difference there? Would you say they're different things? Or when you use that language, vocation versus occupation, are those two terms interchangeable? Or do you see something different in your work and what you're telling families and counselors? We really do define them differently, mainly because if work is your vocation, then your vocation ends when you're not working anymore. And if a if a vocation is a call from God, it can't it cannot only be a call to do; it has to also be a call to be. Mm-hmm. So we think, um, and we meaning all the people that work with me, we think we're redefining it a little bit for people, just to say it's a combination of being and doing that you have to be first before you can do. Now, many people do stuff out of a vacuum or out of, you know, unknowing who they are without doing the deep work and they just do work. And often they end up being a little discouraged and disappointed with the outcomes of their labors. Mm -hmm. And so we do think the idea of a call from God to be, to a way of being in the world is an important distinction. And and as we think about who we are in Christ and what he's called us to be, then we can think about doing things from a different perspective. And separating them, it's not as clear-cut. Like I'd love to say, yes, vocations on one side and occupations on the other, mainly because it's been combined for so long in the Christian community that we sort of feel like vocation is a thing. And then in the secular community, vocation almost always means trade, like trade schools, vocational Mm -hmm. education. We've used it in so many different ways that I'd like to define it a little better and use it in a way that I think is true to its origin, (laughs) to its origin, which is, you know, that it is a call by someone to something. So Tammy, we're going to kind of turn 
the page a little bit. And and there was one thing um, that really stood out to me as I listened to the webinar last week. You talked about Imago Day. I would just love for you to talk further about that with our audience today. Well, the Imago Day is the idea that uh, we are created in the image of God. And of course, it comes from the Genesis passage around creation, that God creates us in his image. And when I was thinking about this for young people, because typically what I'm doing with young people is I'm translating ideas theologically and educationally from something that's pretty complex into a simpler way of thinking. So very often I'm creating two or three or four ideas for them to choose from to help them clarify their thinking. It's not, it's never permanent. This is a part of um, design thinking that is big part of what I do is we're always just sort of prototyping things, seeing how they work, helping people think creatively about their own lives. And so what we came up with was uh, four basically vocational buckets. And these vocational buckets were just a compilation of what, how we see God moving in the world. And so we I went through the Bible and said, well, how does God move in the world? Well, he creates beauty. That was our first bucket. So we, we believe the world is created in beautiful ways. And so creating beauty is one of those um, vocational buckets that you might be drawn to. The second bucket is bringing order out of chaos. And so um, we see God doing that in the creation uh, story, and we see him continue to do that in men's lives. I mean, there's just all sorts of moments where that happens. And then we see, as Jesus talks about this, we see seeking and saving that which is lost as part of his vocation on earth. And one of the interesting things about that is lots of jobs do that. They seek and save things that are lost. They do different things. So we think ministry, but we also have to think private detective and sex traffic worker. I mean, there's all sorts of people doing seeking and saving lost people Mm -hmm. and things. And then the last one is healing and restoring. And so we see God healing um, in the Bible, and almost always that's a restoration to community or to relationship or to something. And so so those four buckets, basically what we do with those is I just lay them out for the person and they number them one to four. And we just begin a conversation around how do you feel God is calling you to move in the world? Is one of these vocational buckets, a place where you feel like you are drawn to for a certain reason. It could be like an occupational call. Like some people really feel like they should be a lawyer. But I've one of the stories that I tell frequently is I um, one of the people we were working with was in law school and he was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I know, I know I'm going to be a lawyer. But these four vocational bu- buckets really brought clarity to him about what kind of lawyer he wanted Hmm. to be. And so thinking about all the different types of law there are out there, you can see that some lawyers bring art out of chaos, some lawyers heal and restore, some lawyers seek and save with that. I mean, you can move in law in any of these four vocational ways of being. And so, so it's been helpful and clarifying for students and parents alike because I ask the student the question and then I ask the parents what they see. And because we believe vocational discipleship is deep work over time in community, we ask for communal feedback. We ask for parents, teachers. Um, and that's one of the things that's great because we're already doing this in education. We're already trying to 
capture what we see in children's lives as artifacts of vocation. You know, what are they called to be Mm -hmm. and what are they called to do? And we know it's both. It's a combination of who you are and what you can do, the skills and talents you have, where you can say, oh, here's a place I can be in the world and do some good for the world. Tammy, you're, you're using descriptors, descriptors and terms from my previous life prior to coming to NACAP. Ephesians 2.10 yeah. being the idea of God's masterpiece, a poema project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, it, it's, it's loud and clear. And then even Imago Day that you're tying all this to the idea of God's plan for students' lives. Uh, you, you, I think you mentioned that you talk with counselors mostly, but you do talk to families. This seems like a big, huge, complex way of thinking, but you're working to make it simpler and more simple for families. What's the biggest challenge in doing that? What, what's the obstacle keeping you from, from doing the good work that the Lord has called you to do in this space? What, what, what are the challenges and, and how do you overcome them as you do this work? That's a great question. I think the challenge mainly is, uh, it's going to sound strange, but I think we we sort of think in triumphal terms when we think about Christianity in America. We think, you know, we're marching to Zion and you know, it's just <laughs> this, this very interesting conversation about, uh, you know, it's all going to be somehow perfect on earth. And, you know, it's an interesting idea that we, that we're trying to make uh, our communities like the the picture of heaven on earth and mm-hmm. right now things look so bad and and so many people are really especially young people really struggling with evil being rampant mm-hmm. in our in mm-hmm. culture and mm-hmm. in our world and it's very discouraging and so for for many of the young people that I work with and their families they're trying to figure out how their theology fits with what's going on in the world. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so the idea of being called for a purpose, I, I'm, I am I'm hearing Esther quoted a lot these days, you know, for such a time mm-hmm. as this. And I, and I actually agree with that. I mean, it's not like that's not a biblical idea. But I, I do think that when you're talking to a student and he's going to go into logistics, you know, the such a time as this becomes very complex for them. You know, how do I, how do I, how do I create common good in the world by moving boxes for Amazon. You know, it's, it's a really complex idea. And, uh, and so there's a lot of different ways to think about that from a biblical perspective. And the struggle I see most is we're not really thinking about it from a biblical perspective. We're not really going, okay, well, what can I do as an Amazon worker? Maybe my first job or maybe my last job, you know, I could be doing this a long time. What can I do? And trying to figure out what that means for today. A lot of times we have this big vision for what we can do in the world, what God's doing in the world. And theologically, of course, we know that He's He has a plan and we're we're not living in a in a world without His handiwork and His plan moving us to His decisive victory in the future. But I do think we struggle with what today has to do with that. And I and I think that we be, we just become functional humanists when we when our kids get to the high school moment where they're deciding what they should do with their lives. We just go, well, you know, what do you think you want to do? And we ask questions like that. And 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 it's fascinating, particularly for students in Christian schools that they've been brought up through their schooling, and then they get to this decisive moment, and 
we're not as careful as we should be to really pray, really think through this, really apply scripture to our discernment process and help students understand what what they're doing in their next steps. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the big challenge is helping people think from their contextualization, which Phil, as you know, and Heidi, of course, contextualization is an important thing. You know, you, you go to a church, you go to a school, all of those are contexts with which you've been taught about what you believe about God and what you believe about his purposes for your life. And so when I talk to counselors, it's always about contextualization. What does this look like in your community? What does vocational discipleship mean in your community? And of course, counselors uh, lead from the middle, you know, mm-hmm. which is always one of the hardest places to lead from. And so, uh, so we have to be very careful that we're not saying we need to do this all differently, we, that we take our responsibility, the, the job that God has called us to do in the school setting and think about how we can pull the thread of vocational discipleship that's already there on our campus. How are we already talking about students being and their doing and uh, really contextualize it to our community? So everyone in the community is using the same language and using the same thought processes around student maturity. Well, the being and doing of NACAP is to get uh, folks connected to people like you who are working and doing the the good work that God has called you to do. In particular, um, we want prospective students. We want counselors to hear this. And mm-hmm. this is meant to be an appetizer that something was said or more thought that they would then in turn get in touch with you. So we want you to be very uh, very, uh, uh, do a commercial here, Tammy. How, how can prospective <laughs> students, how, how can counselors, how can college universities get in touch with you to learn more about the work you're doing at Life Architects? Well, you can always go to our website, lifearchitectscoaching.com and architects is plural. So just add that S. I think if I had to do all over again, I would have chosen an easier name to spell. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> everything I come up with is harder to spell. So I don't know what my problem was. You can do that or you can call, contact me at Tammy, T-A-M-I, at lifearchitectscoaching.com. I'm on lots of podcasts and I write a lot. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. So you'll probably see if you're in that in that educational thread, you'll see some of the things I'm writing and more to come for sure. Great. Well, we commend everyone listening to this to look up Tammy again, T-A-M-I. Uh, you just Google her and you'll find good information about what she's doing. In our organization, speaking of, of things difficult to spell, NACAP, N-A-C-C-A-P.org, there is a Mount Rushmore of college counselors and Tammy Peterson is on it. Tammy, we're so glad yeah. you're a part of this today. Thank you for the work that you're doing uh, for the kingdom and to advance Christian education. We appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Thanks, Phil. I, NACAP has, was my professional home for a very long time where I did lots of good work with people there. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Tammy. We really appreciate it. Be sure to join us next time for the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast.